This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. Today, we are going to talk about an issue that's going to affect lots of companies over the next 18 months. I'm joined today by Ian McGrath, who's a marketing and media consultant. Welcome, Ian. How you doing? Good. And I'm also joined by Alwyn Inglis, who is part of the client leadership team at Dentsu. Welcome, Alwyn. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. No problem. First of all, before we get going, Alwyn, how are you getting on in lockdown? How is restricted working for you? How's that going? Grand. Yeah, I, I can't even remember what life was like before lockdown at this stage. So I think settling in well into the foreseeable future by the looks of things. Oh, well, and you're keeping safe and well. That's good. Uh, Ian, how are you getting on? How's remote working? Well, Curve, um, it's actually, it's a, I suppose there's a lot of ups and downs um, with the lockdown, but remote working has been something that I've been used to for over, you know, maybe 12 months now. Thanks for joining me. So what we're going to do is just on the subject of COVID and lockdowns, um, something that came up when we were working on lots of clients, we would have expected to have seen a huge increase in switching behaviours. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But actually what happened in a lot of cases was switching slowed down, the instance of switching slowed down. So last week I caught up with Claire O'Rourke, who is research lead at Dentsu Consult, and we commissioned a piece of research just to see if we could figure out what exactly was going on, why it seemed counterintuitive that people weren't switching during COVID and, and everything that was going on. So what we're going to do is, I'm going to play that clip, the quick chat I had with her last week, and then what we'll do is we'll come back and we'll talk about the implication that has on brands. So I'm joined in studio today by Claire O'Rourke, who is research lead at Dentsu Consult. Welcome, Claire. Hi, Dave. It's great to be here. Good. Um, great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. So what we're going to talk about today, we've talked quite a lot about COVID just because it just touches on so many things and, and it's quite a big deal and, we're, and we don't know how long it's going to go on. So it, it does impact lots of things we talk about, but we're going to talk about it today. We've talked before about new normal consumer behaviours, how brands should react during these times. But today we're going to talk about an issue that affects every company and every brand. And that's specifically about the impact that COVID has had on switching behaviour. So I read your article in today's Irish Times, Claire, and I must say it's a great read because it surprised me first and foremost. It wasn't what I expected. The things that I expected to see, which was that all the everything we know about COVID and pressure on people's finances and, and households and that kind of thing, I would expect people to be switching like crazy, but that has not been the case. So tell me what's going on, what's happened? So Dave, I think it's been actually really interesting. There's definitely a perception that consumers everywhere have been massively impacted and their finances have been massively impacted by COVID. But actually what we found is that people's perceptions of their disposable income is pretty much in line with what we saw in 2019. So okay. the vast majority of people are actually still quite comfortable or coping well on their current um, household income. And that's really been because of all the packages that the government has given. Yeah. There's been a disproportionate effect on certain industries. So really what we're seeing is that many who've seamlessly moved to remote working, that's about 48% of adults who say that COVID have, has had no impact on their right. personal okay. finances. So I think that has a big impact in terms of switching. There were a lot of people who were just buckling down, trying mm. to get on with it, putting lives on hold to a certain extent at the initial stages of COVID-19. But really now, as people look forward and we can see a recession coming, now is the point that people are beginning to evaluate 
what they're spending and how they're spending. Right. Okay. That, and yeah, that's that's quite interesting because I guess it was such a shift. And we'll get into that in a second. So before we, we talk about some of the specific findings, how big was it? Can you just help me about the methodology and the serve, the sample size and that kind of thing and, and when you did it? Yes. Yeah, so we did a survey of 760 household electricity or gas decision makers. Okay. And that was conducted during August 2020. So this was over 750 Irish adults from across the country and with a, ro- a broad range right. of ages. And it was equally split by genders as well. Right. Okay. So a, a pretty large sample size. And I think in the article you mentioned that we're, we're, we seem to be in, in a calm before the switching storm, I think is the way it was put. So why do you think people haven't switched yet? What do you think was going on? Given that you would expect, and we, I'd expect it across lots of categories that people would have been looking for ways to save money, but maybe because you say people haven't really felt the pinch of COVID yet that they just haven't switched. But was there anything, I mean, in the article, I read some nice insights about why you think people hadn't just got around to switching yet. And it's probably because it was such a, the impact that COVID had had on life. Is that kind of what we think was happening? Yeah, well, what we actually saw in August was that over half of consumers um, were actually spending less and saving more at that point, which we've also seen across studies from the Central Bank, from Bank of Ireland. So there's a lot of people who've actually been managing to hold on to a lot more of their disposable income. Mm-hmm. However, when we're looking to the future, over half of Irish adults are already worried about their job right. security um, or income in the next 12 months. And that's going to have the impact on switching. Two thirds of people said due to COVID, they're no longer planning on um, making any big purchases. And nearly three in five people say that they're going to look more closely at bills. And this is where our switching really comes in. Okay, so it seemed to be that, I guess it makes sense when you think about it, because just think about it from my own point of view, everything changed, like the impact COVID had on on everything, on life. So like it was just such a big shock to the system that life admin fell down the priority list for a lot of people. So that seems to be what was going on. But, you know, I think it did have a quite a paralyzing effect on people just working from home, trying to manage, you know, house with kids and it work from home. And, you know, my parents are elderly. It's just a lot going on trying to just figure out these type of things. So I guess it makes total sense. But yeah, interestingly, what we can expect to see in the next 12 months is kind of quite worrying for brands that because once people get around to these things and once we accept that you know we still have to muddle our way through this to a degree they're going to start looking at the things that they've put off temporarily so did anything specifically come up about certain categories or certain things people are going to focus on yeah well i think what's really interesting is our research showed in the last year a really small number of consumers have actually been switching providers across a whole range of categories right. so only a third of people switch their car or motor insurance But this drops the whole way down to less than one in five people having swapped their TV service provider. And we know from places like the CCPC that actually we can all save a huge amount of money by switching and by switching on a regular basis. And because we've all put this on hold as a collective, that actually means a lot of brands are really vulnerable to churn because people are out of that initial 12 month contract period. And actually what we saw is that although switching has been really low in the last 12 months, the intention is pretty high. So over two in five people are planning on switching their provider for car or motor insurance in the next 12 months. And a similar proportion are planning on switching their electricity, their gas and broadband and TV aren't a huge amount safer, as you must have read in the article. Claire, just one last thing before we go. Were there certain categories at higher risk than others? What was there anything that comes out like what if you were just taking an overall view of switching intent in the next 12 months, which are the categories that people claim that they're going to look at first? 
Well, it definitely seems to be car motor insurance mm-hmm. um, and in insurance verticals, but really energy. Right. I think people are going to be looking at energy specifically now that more people are working from home. Right, There's yeah. more people spending time at home. You're more likely to have, in the past, you might have had students that are moving out. They're yeah. going to be doing a lot more distance learning. So I think those energy providers right. are really quite vulnerable. And we've also had well, up to a while when COVID started, unseasonably mild weather. So I think that probably helped um, you know, delay things for people. So, okay, um, Claire, if people want to find out any more about that research, is it published anywhere? Can they get in touch with you? Where do they go? Um, absolutely, they can get in touch with me. It's claire.org at densuegis.com. Okay. Cool. Um, great. That's been brilliant. As I say, check it out. Read it in the Irish Times. There's a summary of it today. And yeah, so thanks a million, Claire, for joining me. Thanks, Dave. Okay. So um, yeah, as I said, that was a great chat with Claire. So to sum up, it seems like there's a switching storm brewing. There's dark clouds on the horizon for brands. And when we think about the implication for brands, it's quite scary, particularly for market leading companies or, or companies who are kind of premium. They seem to be most vulnerable. So look, generally switching is unavoidable for every category, but I think what we're going to see and what we can expect to see happen in the next 18 months has quite an important impact on brands. We're going to chat about that today because there's lots of thinking about this kind of tension between short-term and long-term acquisition versus brand activity. So just to kick off, Alwyn, I want to start with you. And one of the major challenges, and we've talked about this quite a lot, is that, you know, established rules of thinking. So Binet and Fields, 60-40, or even Byron Sharp's work that he's done. So there's lots of thinking gone into this, and brands sometimes take it quite literally. So, but we don't really know what's going on at the moment and the impact of COVID. We're not even into a recession yet. So let's start off there, Owen. Do you want to just touch on 60-40? And just for anybody who doesn't know, just briefly kind of touch on what that means and, and give me your thoughts on that accepted rule of thumb for brands. Yeah, sure. I think, yeah, the holy grail of 60-40 planning, as I like to say. Uh, so just to explain to listeners who haven't come across this Bennett and Field work, but I'm sure most people have, it was published back in 2013. And from the research, they established this 60-40 rule. And just to say, there's a huge amount else in the work. This is just kind of one really sticky point that people have kind of uh, clung on to. And it's essentially that brands should spend 60% of their advertising budget on brand building. And what they mean by this is essentially creating mental structures. So memories, beliefs, and relying heavily on emotional priming. Um, and and they ultimately say that this will help lead a consumer to choosing one brand over another. So they think of this as your Guinness Surfer ad or any John Lewis Christmas TV ad. And then the other 40% of your spend is used for sales activation. So this is really around tight targeting and rational persuasion and really focusing on the consumer journey and ultimately driving short-term sales. So I think the problem we have now is that this broad ranging rule of 60-40 for all categories and for all brands lacks context. And the context of a global pandemic and what Claire and yourself were discussing earlier, you know, the inevitable recession and the potential that this has to become a switching storm is context that can't be ignored. Now, what I would say is in fairness to Bennett and Field, they have published updates to this work. So effectiveness in context and media and focus are, are both well worth reading. But I think many brands prefer this simplicity of the 60-40 rule without understanding that context mm-hmm. plays a hugely important role and can and should have an impact 
impact on these budget splits. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I, I knew we were going to talk about this on the podcast and then I just saw a post that you'd written on LinkedIn talking about this very point. Just to follow on from all the thoughts, established thinking may not apply now, but you made a good point and it was kind of like, look, this was never supposed to be a hard and fast rule. It was never supposed to be the answer is 60-40. So just give me your thoughts on that for a second. It comes back into being um, one of those kind of big questions that marketers have to answer, Uh, you know, not just in terms of what my budget split is, but what my overall effective investment is. And, you know, that's a big, big uh, question that's uh, challenging for most marketing teams uh, because there's not a lot of information. If you look at what has been uh, produced over the last 10 years and what's actually been paid attention to by marketing departments is very different than, say, the previous 20 years. So we are getting more scientific as an industry. We are being able to prove how more effectiveness from our marketing inv- investments. But the problem is that when you you get a, a rule like this, too many marketers default to that being the only case. They yeah. don't apply their own yeah. data to it, their own context. And effectively, there are no hard and fast rules in marketing. It's actually one of the best things about the industry. There's some benchmarks like this that should be applied with your own data to inform what is the best case for your business in this situation? And that's a that's a problem with kind of, you know, when you do get rules like this, that marketing departments default to it just being, that's the way to do it, mm-hmm. despite whatever else is going on in, in the marketplace. So we've had some good years of trading. We, you know, the, the work would have been done really, you know, coming out of a recession in 2013 originally. And even when they presented 60-40, they said that it is only tentatively accepted by the IPA because there wasn't a, enough supporting data to, you know, right. to categorically say 60-40 is a right split. And since then, like Alwyn has said, there's been a lot of work done across category, you know, in terms of different areas uh, within marketing like B2B or the likes of, you know, just internet companies. So they've looked at what the various different splits should be over the last, uh, say, seven years. Mm-hmm. But the 60-40 rule came out of really, it's just, you know, it makes sense should be, yeah. In principle, it makes sense. Yeah, and we're all in agreement. So context. I mean, I think what we we like rules, we like principles, we like I won't say we like shortcuts, but we do like hard and fast rules because it just allows you shortcut things, which is good. But I, I think that everyone's agreeing with is that context is important. Now that's context in terms of the economic environment and whatever's going on culturally, but also your own category context and and the way the market is. Oh, I'm just staying on this point for a minute. Um, one of the things that, that we've debated quite a lot was the whole issue of things are not binary. We talk about this all the time, I think, and this is a great example. Human beings, just the way we are, we, we love to think that the world is binary. We love to think it's black or white, it's right or it's wrong. And actually, that's overly simplistic because the world and particularly human beings, the way we make decisions, we don't live in a binary world as much as we'd like to think we are and as much as we'd like to think that there's only, you know, there's only one right answer and, and everything else is wrong. It's not that simple. So when we chatted about this before, you know, we even talked about things like, you know, even to think in those terms about is it brand or is it activation? And we think about those things on a continuum and we think about what are the right investment splits between those two tension points on that continuum. So but actually, one of the things we chat about is there's a middle ground, I think, as well. It doesn't have to be, you know, it's not two points on a, on a continuum. There's a middle ground in all this. And, and it doesn't have to be a case of it's either we do fluffy purpose brand stuff or we do down and dirty performance or activation. So what are your thoughts on that, Owen? 
Yeah, like I think one of the the difficulties with having this kind of work from Bennett and Field and having these kind of steadfast rules, or at least, you know, the application of these rules is that it is so binary and your marketing is either long-term brand building or short-term sales, and there's nothing in between. And I don't think that's necessarily what they're saying, but I think that that's how a lot of brands have taken it up. So when we speak about a middle ground, like what do we mean by this? So if we think of brand as emotional and say activation as rational, which is what Bennett and Field have said, and we take the example of supermarkets. I think it might be a good way to explain it. So supermarkets, generally speaking, have operated in this binary brand and activation world. So they either have a beautiful, emotional Christmas 60 second brand ad with, you know, a carrot running around chasing Brussels sprouts or happy families sitting around smiling at a giant turkey in the middle of the table. Or they have activation campaigns, which is half price frozen pizza, three for two nappies. And that's all about uh, providing rational product and pricing information. But I think what's really fascinating in the context of COVID and coming back to this key point of context is how supermarkets change their messaging. So rather than being exclusively rational or emotional, they had this much more blended approach. So thanking staff and frontline workers with, you know, this lovely emotive music in the background, but at the same time, giving customers rational information about the precautions they have in place to convince them to come and shop in store. So for me, this sort of middle ground, you know, and as a result, they saw hugely positive results, um, not just in terms of sales, which I think in lots of ways was inevitable because we had nothing else to do. But B&A research during lockdown also showed that supermarkets topped the polls in terms of consumer brand perception. So in the context of what's happening around us or more specifically around consumers, I think the broad universal rule is, you know, cannot always be applied. And I think, mm. yeah, it, it's all about context. Yeah. I, and I think it's a good point because the, I know, look, we're in unusual times. There is no rule, but we're not into a recession yet. We know what to do in a recession. We know what brands should do in a recession. We're not into a recession yet. We're in this global pandemic and it's pretty serious times. So we're not really sure what to do now. And I think if you take the example of what, what a lot of companies did with COVID, not the big brand, we're all in it together type of nonsense that too many brands are doing. I'm, I'm talking about what could arguably be seen as functional ads. But I think a lot of the supermarkets, the work they did, it was rational because it was saying, listen, don't worry about it. You look after yourself. We look after the stock in the shelves. Don't worry about it. But it was a brand ad as well because it was going, we got your back. We're going to step mm-hmm. up and this type of thing. So I think that's an interesting point. And it's a great example of how just life isn't binary. In one of the things that arose, and, and you mentioned this a minute ago, is that not to be disrespectful of any profession or industry, but it seems that the industry read the kind of cliff notes on the long and short of it and effectiveness in context. And they didn't really go into the detail on it. So, but we have have a presence here. This is not the first time we've latched onto a, a handy rule of thumb and tried to apply it as de facto standard for everything we do. So Ian, and that was kind of something you mentioned in your post. Do you want to just talk to me about that? I suppose it's a little disappointing how people have just latched on 6040 and thought that that application will apply for them and why they would be then any different from one of their competitors who would have read the, the clip notes and done the exact same. Mm. You know, previously we would have seen this through people who 70, 20, 10 and said, oh, we must uh, have at least 10% of, you know, in risk or gray areas. But uh, we also see it with, you know, the 80, 20 rule thinking that, you know, 80 or 80% of our sales are coming from 20% of uh, really, really low customers, you know, which is now kind of a uh, myth blown in a way. So as a kind of group marketer seem to latch on to these kind of more easy rules because they may kind of neat for them when actually we know ads and marketing layer in over time and mm. um, the classification between short and long term is very, very difficult to actually pull apart. And that was actually recognized in all the studies that uh, Bennett and Field have done. Talking about uh, supermarkets there, Alwyn gave some really, really good examples. I always think back to 
you know, Volkswagen and they talked about, you know, product attributes like the, you know, our car is now diesel. But they made that into, you know, effectively very uh, engaging. It would be classified as a long term ad, but it's actually talking about really kind of rational short term product attribute. Mm. Same with just, you know, the the Darth Vader kid running out and doing the auto click lock. Nothing kind of special about it. It's a car feature. So, you know, technically it's a rational thing told in a more emotional way. Yeah. So the classifications of how you would judge that ad actually very difficult to pull apart. So it has been difficult to actually get good measurement between what is short term and then what is long term. But you know, most measurements uh, that we've seen over the, the last couple of years from like, you know, fairly big uh, people like so if you look at all the war case studies that has been recently done, Gain Theory, Dunstan, uh, Ubiquity have done uh, work with Thinkbox. If you look at all that, they've really been able to show the return on advertising investment over the short to medium term. But the longer term has been something that has been very difficult to put actual uh, numbers yeah. on, even from um, case studies, which is why I suppose the Binnetton fieldwork still stands apart from, you know, most of what's out there. Mm. That's uh, that's actually tough. And then also kind of partner to that is we're seeing the the tenure of CMOs actually drop term of any kind of C-suite role. Right, so yeah. kind of you have to, marketers are under obviously a uh, pressure to create short-term wins within the business. So are they going to be there from a long-term point of mm. view, measure the success yeah. of what they're doing? Or yeah. are they kind of under pressure to actually create these short-term wins, you know? But yeah. within that, then it's just, it's very hard. The the overall classification between short, what is short-term, what is long-term is difficult to do. It's also then just too neat for marketers to kind of say, what's what within those boxes? So, you know, this is short-term. So, it can, should only be judged that way. And that was what makes success. When we know actually, you know, the reason there's a 60 and a 40 split and not just one or the other is that, you know, the two need to work together. Yeah. And that the balance of that will be adjusted over time, um, depending on your situation, depending on what your competitors do, depending on the economic environment. And that 60 40 was a general rule for kind of all advertisers. And that yeah. what marketers really need to do is kind of double down in terms of understanding their own business in their own market against what the economic backdrop is. Yeah, I think, and I think it's a good point because when you think about, you just mentioned about CMOs, but I, I take it goes all the way down through the whole marketing department. The churn in marketing people is just so, so high. And we actually incentivize short-term performance within marketing teams. So people are bonused on the short-term. Um, you like, you're not going to get a bonus in three years' time if something you did now if you're a brand person. And actually, quite often, a lot of clients we work with, it's not really in your interest because if you do something that's going to benefit the brand in the long-term, you're actually just you know, incentivizing or bonusing your successor if you've moved on. So it's a flawed system in terms of how how it's set up because we do reward and incentivize short term in terms of salaries and bonuses and that kind of stuff from a client thing. And people just don't aren't there that long, not even CMOs. It's from right down to brand manager level. I think it does go back to how the, you know, those classifications work as well, because uh, we talked about retailers at Christmas. And if you think badly when John Lewis came out with their campaign, you know, their first Christmas campaign, you know, that would have been judged in any other context as a big brand piece. Really, it's a payback over time. But they won that Christmas straight away. Now, over 50% of what they spent on advertising was actually on more rational sales driven message because the ad just took hold uh, of the marketplace and then everyone copied them. But like, you know, they got immediate benefits from having um, a big emotional yeah. uh, led campaign yeah. followed by 
a number of uh, you know more uh, rational sales driven messages. Yeah, I, I, so it's not they don't have to pay back you know over the three years. It's just the the classification. Yeah, I know. I think it's a good point. So you can have you can have an immediate result. Alwyn, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, like I think it's a, it's a good approach to have is in having this kind of 60 40 rule is a good starting point right so it, it shouldn't be the end point about where all where all brands finish up in terms of their budget splits necessarily but i think you know if marketing managers are out there and they need to have empirical evidence to cfos of this world um you know it's much easier to talk about the short term where it's easier to see an immediate effect so having the work that Bennett and field have done is is kind of really important as a justification for this long-term brand building but i think it's just that it the application of it needs to be more considered yeah i agree with that and i want just to stay with you for a second i think one of the things because again and i think ian you mentioned this before you certainly did when we were chatting sometime the 60 40 rule when bentonfield talked about this it wasn't just applicable to your media investment it actually applies to everything so they would talk about any marketing investment and that could be even the money you pay for end of aisle displays and done stores or something like that that all counts as part of it is money that you that could go on brand building on tv campaigns and if you take it off and put it below the line and put it into retail promotions to subsidize that as an offer or even to pay for shelf space well that is actually the short-term driving activity so but what we've done is, and we tend to think about it as just 60-40 applying to the media spend. So it's not only are we saying that 60-40 may not apply, but we're applying a rather blunt instrument to one individual discipline within within the marketing toolbox. What do you think about that, Alvin? Yeah, I think the fundamental point should always be how many people are seeing your message. And as you said, Dave, that doesn't matter whether that's through paid media or through organic or through owned or earned. It's just how many people are seeing it. So I think, you know, again, it's the exact same problem we have at 6040 is that you're just very basically applying a rule that actually has a huge amount of different elements to it. And I think that's the same for how you actually get to that 60-40 split. It's about your owned and your earned alongside your paid activity. But the problem is, is that that's much more challenging to actually do. It's much more easier to take a media plan. So I think, you know, it's a challenge back to media agencies as much to clients as how can we, you know, work together to have a bigger, broader picture view of your, you know, 60-40 budget splits and, and how that applies across all of your activity. Ian, what are your thoughts on that? I think this is something that you mentioned in your LinkedIn post recently about going, it's not just media. We can't just look at it under through a lens of media. We have to look at it from total marketing investment. It's wrong to just use media as the, the weight behind a 60-40 rule. One of the, the areas that we had chatted about uh, previously, Dave, is that you know at the same time, people are saying that they're applying a 60-40 rule. We're seeing uh, other work like the, you know, the lemon by... Orlando Wood, uh, which shows that creativity has dropped. You know, people are leaning too much more on rational messages. Mm. So there's no point having a 60-40 rule and then creating loads of short-term, you know, rational, less engaging, less brandy-type messages. Uh, Peter Field has said the same thing with his creativity in crisis. You see it, actually, if you look at, say, those people who expect advertising to be as entertaining as the TV programs they watch. Um, if you look at that metric over the last 20 years, it's a severe drop. So, you know, creativity is something that hasn't been uh, looked at uh, the 60-40. We certainly aren't getting 60% of creativity from um, an advertising point of view or from, you know, if you look at it from an overall consumer experience point of view, these are the areas that probably are lagging in the investment. A 60-40 rule would be applied to. But also, uh, you know, within the work that um, Bin and Phil did, they gave classifications of 
channels that, you know, specifically suit short term and specifically suit kind of, you know, more longer term investment or brand building and short uh, sales activation. And they've come out and said themselves that, you know, the only reason that we see, say, for example, digital as more of an activation type media is because every case study we looked at has had people invest in digital only as a short term activation media. They haven't yeah, really tried to build a brand or not too many brand case studies have tried to build a brand coming out from digital channels. Yeah. Whereas we know now and kind of seen more work, there are digital brands out there. You know, there are yeah. actually campaigns built out of digital channels that are having, you know, more longer lasting brand effects. Yeah. You know, so it, it's wrong to use the, that overall classification. Just, you know, start trying to put these things in boxes like we did with 6040 and then even beyond 6040 saying it's only for media. Yeah. And then when we get into media, say it's only uh, digital for activations, only TV for, yeah. you know, brand building. We need to come to a fresh thinking. Yeah, I agree because we tend to, we, we get right down to channel. It does effectively come down to, when, when you boil it down to it, it comes down to a channel argument in a lot of cases. Oh, and so given all the things we talked about, and I think we're all in agreement, which is good, what's the right way to approach this? So how do you actually, how do you actually start? So look, there's no doubt that price is going to become an increasingly important lever to pull over the next 18 months, given everything that's going on and, and what I just chatted about with Claire. So what should brands be doing now? How should they approach it, Alvin? Just on the price point, I think, you know, and I looked through the, the research and I think 93% of consumers in the research said that price was the major determining factor in choosing a provider. I think it was an energy provider specifically. But, you know, I think we need to be cognizant of the fact that just because a consumer says that price is the most important factor, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily the case. And, you know, this comes back to the work done by Daniel Kahneman. Um, thinking fast and slow around these two systems. So system one is, you know, works in the background. It's your subconscious is primarily driven by instinct and emotion. And then system two is cognitive, rational and requires effort. So the consumer decision making process is far more complex um, than just because it's a recession. All we should talk about is price. And actually, there's this great research done by Google. Uh, I think it was this year, the messy middle, where they've looked at the increasingly messy way people make purchase decisions. And one of the really interesting insights from the work is that as the internet has grown, it has changed from a tool to compare prices to a tool that compares everything. So they looked at search terms cheap and best, and they showed that searches for cheap have seen a steady decline in the past 15 years versus best, which has grown steadily. And if you think about best as another way to describe the middle ground or the messy middle, you know, it's value, it's quality, it's performance, it's even popularity. So price is only one factor in an increasingly complex consumer journey. And I think the focus for many brands then as we move into recession is not necessarily having the lowest price, which, you know, for most won't even be possible, but it's being able to establish this middle ground, possibly in a recession of value with the consumer. And mm. I think the role for media agencies in all this is helping brands understand the context of what's happening around us, but mm. then also, you know, the impact that this context uh, can and should have on the balance of our brand versus activation comms. So, Alwyn, what should we be doing? It's not 60-40. I want to put it in the box. I want to put it in the box. How much should I be spending now? That's the whole point. There is no box. There is no one size fits all answer to this that you have to put the work in. And it's it's not just well, we a don't steadfast want it. We don't want to rule. do the work. Oh, we don't want to do the work. Just tell us what it should be. <laughs> we don't want to do it. Ian, what are your thoughts on that? That's a great point because now we have to do the work. Mm. This has forced us to actually think and kind of break out of the box. One of the, the things about lockdown is that, you know, some, some very safe 
channels, some channels that, uh, you know, always remained on uh, media plans. They were still there. They could have been bought. There was a time when people struggled to get to, you know, supermarkets. There was no traffic on uh, the road. So out of mm. home was less effectively. Like, and people had to, you know, tear up what they were doing yeah. and actually understand that, you know, always talking about it, uh, reach earlier on. A lot of those uh, reliable touch points were unavailable. Yeah. So they had to think, they had to kind of break out of the mm. box. You know, if this is now a catalyst for Use them as benchmarks. Yeah. They're not hard and fast rules. You need to know your marketplace, you know, and then maybe what you can do is bring more of a collective of objectives to your marketing department. So one of the other issues that affects this, that if you look at it, media agencies are asked to do certain things with the media person within a company has their media KPIs in terms of judging their performance. Yeah. Kind of back to your point earlier, Dave, naturally that will fall into short term. Same when you get into, you know, the likes of, um, you know, some of the digital team within businesses as well. If they're in housing, they're under a lot of pressure to generate leads. That's mm. all short term, you know. So where does these long term objectives actually sit? I think actually what this can do is it's put a focus in business where collectively they, they need to look at what are business objectives and then yeah. what they do within marketing uh, ladders up to that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, we're, again, we're all agreeing, put the spade work in, do the due diligence and think about it. I always think, not just on this point, I think just it's a human condition failing. We want to get going. We want to, like when you get a briefing, you want to get going on it. You want to get into the ideas. You want to get into the fun stuff. Uh, and quite often we don't spend enough time at the start, and, I'm, and what I mean by at the start is kind of making sure that we're going down the right path before we start sprinting off and also making sure that we're setting the right KPIs. And I think on KPI setting, like one of the big issues I have with this binary world, like I say this all the time, I hate the term, like I think the digital marketing industry have done an amazing job by coining the phrase performance marketing because it, it suggests by inference that everything else that doesn't fall into those channels doesn't perform. And I think that's a real problem. It's a little bit like when to stick with the supermarkets analogy, with the collective noun for the German retailers became the discounters. In a recession, what an incredible way to be labelled. Um, now, it has problems 10 years down the line to a degree. But that, that thing about we are in performance, I mean, who doesn't want any investment to perform? So I think it was quite a clever thing they did. And, and then what traditional media has been left out in the cold is because, well, that doesn't perform by inference. It's a really clever thing they've done. But I hate that because the ability to measure things can sometimes then, it can cripple us because we can't look beyond what we can measure. And it, look, it's a well-known Peter Drucker saying just everything that can be measured shouldn't be measured. You know, So just because we can measure it, I think quite often we measure the wrong thing. But when you when we think about this binary world of long-term and short-term, and this is an open question, so because we can measure the short-term far more effectively and far easily, and we can measure loads of nonsense things that, that don't make any sense really, but because we can measure it, we think it's great. Are we doing enough collectively as marketing and previous agency people? Are we doing enough to fight the case for long-term? It's a challenge is the fight for long term is really heavily reliant on investment in ongoing you know, brand tracking, econometrics, and that can be costly and not necessarily possible for all clients. But I also think the problem lies at the doors of media agencies as well, because in our increasingly logical and metric focused world, it's a much easier conversation for media agencies to have with clients when you focus on short term metrics like cost per leads or even ROI. And it's much easier for us 
to prove our value when we use those metrics. So I think the role for for media agencies in this and to, you know, to try and encourage a more long-term view has to be to provide strategic leadership to help clients in the right direction. You know, having a bigger picture view, having both short and long-term KPIs, because the reality is if the only thing we report on are leads and conversions, then building the case for a long or even medium-term, you know, comms becomes way more difficult. Ian, do you want to come in on that final thought? Yeah, I think actually it's more of a creative challenge. Where the brand wants to show up, how it wants to show up, how consumer-centric it actually is, sounds more at the at the top of a you know strategy piece. The media channels that they can use can probably change more so in the, the medium term to achieve that. Certainly, though, in terms of how you measure media, to Alwyn's point, it shouldn't be set at the default metrics that, you know, say Google or Facebook want you to uh, measure. It should be set at more of a within the, the marketing objectives in terms of understanding, does that channel actually pay back? But I think overall what um, brands need to do is they need to think more strategically over, you know, what is their creative position? Where do they stand out in their marketplace? How do they want to actually interact with the consumer across effectively all their channels? Like, So how consumer centric are they really? Ask themselves that question and then go about kind of, uh, you know, fixing that because the channels then to market should actually fall into place more succinctly with what you are trying to be as a brand. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And, that, and I think one of the big advantages that digital media has and performance media is that it, it measures what people do, not what they say they're going to do uh, or their attitudes. Because often, like I'd say, this is complicated. Oh, when you said that at the start, people aren't, we are not the rational beings that we'd like to think that we are. We often rationalize emotional decisions um, and quite often it's unknown to us is why we do we do this in, in our subconscious so i think one of the problems is like people never do what they say they'll do they'll say one thing in a research group and when they're tracked and in, in research whereas the beauty of fast metrics and data is that it measures action not intent which i think is different so that's been great we've gone over time again as i knew we would so but thanks a million ian i know you're dialing in from your staycation your holidays so um good job keeping the kids quiet there in the background thanks for joining us and thanks for I, having me guys no problem Alwyn. thanks for dialing in thank you and i want to say thanks to kira and andrea on sound and thanks to our partners in irish times media solutions until two weeks time see you later This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions.